You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah, a sermon from our series entitled House Rules, a study on the book of 1 Timothy. For more information, visit us at cbcsavannah.com. All right, just a couple quick things before we kind of move into our text for today. Just, we want to celebrate wins, right? I mean, uh, just the good things going on when there's a win, we want to let you know about that as much as we can. Um, and so we want to celebrate wins. Uh, since the Phillies didn't get any wins against the Braves, um, even though we are in second place and y'all are in third, that's another issue. Uh, so I, I want to celebrate spiritual wins for our church. And so just a couple good, cool things that happened in the last couple weeks. Uh, two weeks ago... Uh, a bunch of, I, I kind of announced that I was in, invited to speak at a church downtown called Beulah Baptist, uh, predominantly African-American church. And so I went down on a Wednesday night, and like 60 of our folks showed up, and it was awesome, y'all. I mean, we had a blast. Um, I got some pictures, I think. Is this on? Nope. There it is. Um, so here's one. Here's one. It's just kind of their choir. They were jamming, y'all. They were jamming. Uh, it was so good. Uh, there's our piano player looking at the camera. He's looking at John Ashley. But it just was a... I mean, we packed out the house. We had 60 of our folks. They had 90 or 100 of their folks. A couple other pictures. Just, uh, it was just fun. They have, their, you know, they have their own welcome song. It's awesome. It's like, we welcome you to Beulah. And they all sing it. And I mean, it's, and it's like legit. It's like a legit song. It's, I told Ethan his next job is to write the CBC welcome song. And you guys can sing it. But I mean, it was just, let me just say this. It was the friendliest, most loving church I've been in in a long time. And he, I said it even more than ours. And not, not as a criticism of ours. You could not, I got, I got hugged like 97 times. You, their greeting team is trained in hugging. So you couldn't get through the front door without being hugged. So I, look, this was a church that gets the idea of brother and sister. They were so welcoming to us. Uh, and a couple of them came uh, before their church service at 11. So a couple of their folks came on, on uh, our early service today. And, and it's, it's the start of a great partnership we're going to have with that church, I think. Uh, they have some exciting things going on with them. I talked to their senior pastor this week, Lee, and some cool things happening. So more on that later. But it was just awesome. And that was a win for our congregation. For us to go, it's amazing, y'all, four miles down the road, completely different cultural context even in church. I mean, they clapped. Some of y'all are like, what's that? Ooh, you know, I don't even know. I mean, they jammed out. Um, they celebrated in a way that was just so fun and um, just excited about going forward with that. And so, but we could learn a ton, y'all, on their loving kindness and friendliness. I mean, some of you are like, yo, I hate the greeting time. It's miserable. I love Jesus, but I hate people. That's just not them, okay? So, so, we, so you need to be really moving out of your comfort zone, and that was awesome. Another, another win, next Sunday we're celebrating baptism. You guys know that if you watch announcements and be hearing. We got like 30-something people getting baptized next week. We're going to have a blast. And so bring your friends, bring your families, bring your whatever. Yeah, there you go. You're learning. Some of you are like, yeah, oh, that works. Uh, noise happens. I mean, gracious. I mean, you know, goodness gracious, right? So we're excited about that. I don't know if that's the most we've ever done. We'll have 15 or so each service. Got some live testimonies. Good stuff. So come ready to sing loud and jam, uh, splash some water. Um, here, let me, here's another great win. I'm so excited about this. Tolavo, so he, you know, Tolavo every year, they, they announce camp three or four months earlier, right? But the nature of y'all is, is the, the, the camp is June 10th, is you shine up June 8th. That's just the nature of CBC. So we're always like, how many people sign up for camp? We got like eight. And then usually like 55 or 60 go, which is great. We already have high schoolers, listen to this, we have 60-something already signed up. 
Okay, we've already got one bus full. We had to order another bus, which is awesome. But so here's what, we got like 68 folks going so far. It's exciting, yeah. I mean, we already have more signed up than have ever gone before. I'm praying for 100. Tell I was like, don't pray for 100. I'm praying for 100. We want to fill two buses. I want to get him to have to have another van after that. He's all stressed because he's like, oh. I'm like, yes, we're going to throw you. So I'd love to have 110, 120 high schoolers. Last year, they had a blast. This new camp they go to is awesome. There's like no electricity in some of the men's bathrooms. It's awesome. <laughs> but they, it's just a, look, it's a week where the, the guy, you know, you've seen the videos. They have fun, but they also get in the word together. And that's what we want for our high schoolers. We want to expose them to truth. They, we take their phones away, which is a huge win. That's worth the $400 alone just to get their phone out of their hand for a week. Right? But they, they feed them. They disciple them. They get them excited, and they come bring them back. Y'all, if, you, if you're a high schooler and you're in town that week, uh, it's, it's worth your time. Uh, so, so sign up. The early discount's gone, but it's still worth. They do a great job. Right? So I'm excited about that. Um, and, and then one more piece of information. And some of you have heard this kind of through the grapevine. We're making it public today. So it's a sad piece and exciting piece. So uh, some of you know our college pastor, Steg Wheeler, uh, for the last probably eight, seven, eight months, we've been praying about his direction, where God would have him. And it, it, it's very clear, and I would agree with him and his understanding that, that God is moving him to the corporate business world. And so he is transitioning off staff at the end of this month, uh, he's moving, him and his, and his sweet family, Lauren, and the kids are moving to Nashville. The home, he's going to be a country music singer now, y'all. That's what he's, no. Um, so that is sad. But the, the exciting news is, is, is we are transitioning Clint, who preached last Sunday, onto staff this summer. So, and so that's, it's kind of, he's going to work with some college students initially. We really just wanted someone that was 6'9", is really what we wanted. We figured it was a height trade-up, you know, 5'9 to 6'9". We get an extra foot out of old boy. Uh, I actually just wanted to affirm some of you Georgia fans. See, I hired a Georgia guy, so you guys would stop giving me a hard time. Yes, hey, here you go. So we keep it in the SEC. That's what we do here. We don't, you know, we don't hire ACC, but we will keep it in the SEC. So exciting things going on. Um, God is moving, God is doing good stuff, despite me, which is great. So, uh, but let's, ju- let's jump into our book, 1 Timothy chapter 4. We've been off for a couple weeks, um, as we were in Nehemiah last week with, with Clint, um, and, and just kind of where we're at today, Paul is in a very personal section of this letter. He's being very personal and very specific, giving Timothy, this young protege, this young pastor, some instruction on how to be dealing with what he's dealing with in his church. Um, and, and this is a very personal and very actually applicable if you're a pastor passage. This is one of those passages that pastors go to. This is right for them. And I know the temptation is to say, oh, good, I'm not a pastor and I'm not Timothy, so this doesn't apply to me. Oh, contraire, mon frere, okay? I'm, you think you're off the hook. I'm going to put you on the hook, and I'm going to put myself on the hook um, for this passage. Because we've been talking a lot this year as we've been refocusing about being the church, Right? That's kind of what we've been talking about. You're, you're hearing an agnosium, and that's important because you're going to continue to hear it because that's what we want to be out. So when we gather, this right here is not technically doing church. This is a gathering so we can equip. This is a refresher. This is an encouragement. This is kind of a you know, big meal for us spiritually, but this is not the end-all, be-all. So we gather to equip so that we grow, so we got gather, grow, go, right? We grow into what we've kind of determined our five specs, you know, we scripture and knowing God and, and understanding God and, and lo- loving the word of God and prayer 
and engage with the culture for the gospel and in community and stewarding resources, right? This is kind of our paradigm for growth. We gather to equip. We grow into these specs so that we go and we be the church. So that's the goal, right? And it's not 75 minutes on a Sunday morning. The goal is out there. And as I kind of studied this passage and thought about, okay, how do I package this and bring it to, to the people of God who aren't pastors? What I realized is the things that, that Paul is going to kind of encourage Timothy towards are the same things that, that are necessary. If we're going to be more than a Sunday morning deal, then these things got to be true of all of us, not just Timothy. So we're going to look at them. We're going we're gonna to jump in. Paul has just kind of encouraged Timothy to kind of get in the spiritual gym, right? We looked at that last week, that, that godliness is of great gain. So get in the spiritual gym. There's a, some rigor and a commitment and the motivation to, to grow. And we looked at that. And so we pick up in verse 11, and he says this, command and teach these things. He, and, it's, and it's strong language, like very generic, teach these things. He's been saying that over and over, right? Put these things before the brothers, command these things. So we've seen this, but notice the language, Command, teach. It's very military. Actually, it's a word that's used in, in a military context. And, and, and this is important because Timothy, we've learned, is a young buck. Right? He's kind of young country from Bloomingdale, living in New York City, pastoring the big city church. And, and Pastor Paul is gone. His heavy is gone. And he's a little timid, and he's got a weak stomach, and he's a little scared because he's a little bit younger. And so what Paul is doing is, brah. He's trying to put some, some steel in his spiritual spine. You, this is what God has called you to do. You need to do it. He reminds him his authority is not because of him. His authority is because of God. God has put you here. God has empowered you. God has gifted you. You need to do this, even though he feels like doing this. And he needs what we need, y'all, a, a little bit of courage, Right? We all need that sometime, just to be reminded, this is where God has you. He has you in this place. He has given you this. He, and we, we need to be reminded often, hey, this is where God is doing. You need to be courageous. And so the first kind of really point here, for Timothy, it's do these things for us. Like, it's, it's the church needs to be a little bit courageous. In, in a culture that is more hostile, and it really has been in a long time, towards truth and towards Jesus, the church needs a little bit of courage. Not so that we're obnoxious, not so that you're antagonistic, not so you're angry and yelling guy and always criticizing everybody guy, not that. Some courage so that when the boss says, dude, I need you to fix this number and this number and this number and this number so that the bottom line is this, even though it's not, that you have the courage as a Christian to say, I cannot do that, sir. That takes courage. So when you're in high school and you're taking the exams and it's chemistry and you're sitting next to the cool whatever guy, the high school quarterback or the whatever, and he says, dude, what's number six? That you say, if you weren't such a dumb jock, you would have studied yourself. And you, <laughs> no, you don't need to say that. But you say, I'm, gonna, I'm here. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to compromise who I am because I want to be liked. When you're the parent... And, and, and all your, your teenagers, parents, friends are, mom, so-and-so's mom lets her mom do this, and they do this, and they gave her a bread, this, and they let them, they don't care about this and this, that you're not all, oh, really? Then, then why don't we do that, too? Because they pay our mortgage for us, and they pay your tuition, and they pay for your car insurance. No, that you have some spine spiritually and said, that's great. If you want that, then go live with them. 
because this is how we do it here in our house. Because this is what God has called us to. You don't have to be snarly, but you can be if you want. Because you pay the bills. But in seriousness, there's pressure. Because this, this team does this and this. I hear, I hear it all the time. I don't care. This is our family. It takes a little bit of spiritual courage in that context. When you're the high school student or the college student and you walk into that party and you know that there's nothing good going on. You are not there to evangelize. So that you get out and you say, man, this is no good. And you get your phone and say, mom, can you come get me? Or you call an Uber or you drive yourself, whatever. Or you walk into the break room and it's just trash talking this and that. And you're able to courageously walk out because you know that's not who God wants me. It takes courage, y'all, to, to dress in a way. Yeah, you could dress a little more sensual and a little bit this way to, to get a little bit of a head and maybe be a little more flirtatious so you get the, the, the promotion or the whatever. But are you going to compromise your integrity? It takes a little courage to stand up, not to be ornery. All right, we're not talking about that, but to move and to be who God has called us to do. And there's always a temptation for the people of God to be timid, right? To stand alone. That's why over 150 times in the scripture, God says, don't be afraid. Fear not. Right? It's different, different phrases, but it's always, don't be afraid, be of courage, whatever. Joshua 1.9, one of my favorite. So Joshua's all scared. Moses is gone. He's taken over the Israelites. And, and God says, be strong and be courageous. Don't be afraid. And what is the source for Joshua to not be afraid? He says, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Right? The source of, of our strength is the fact that we have a God who is not a weakling. That we have a spirit put in us. It was not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. We have a Savior who says that, that the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. That lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's the question for us, church. Do you, is, is God still with his church? Like four of you believe that. Okay, great. You're, all four of you are great. Do, is, is Jesus still with his church? Okay, that's better. So you're allowed to talk here. This is not, you know, the, the library. If Jesus is still with his church, and he says, if God is for you, who's going to be against you? Then the church of Jesus needs to be a little bit courageous sometimes. And it's not rooted in pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's, it's rooted in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the promises of God, right? Not so that we're arrogant, again, not so that we're antagonistic, but so there's some courage. And so we need some courage, right? Sometimes just to stand, even stand alone. And, the, and God promises that and he offers that and he empowers that. So he continues, verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth. What I love about this is that culture has not changed in 2,000 years. The stereotype is the same. If you look young, what? You're just like, yeah. I remember when I was a school teacher, and I was, I was coach, teaching, at the high, uh, teaching at the elementary school, coaching at the high school in Beaufort, and I was walking around the halls one day at the high school right before practice, and I got, almost got sent to the principal's office because one of the teachers like, um, excuse me, son, you need to get back in your class. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a teacher here. <laughs> and they didn't believe me. They're like, I'm like, no, no, see, Coach Fowler is on my jacket, right? So nobody, le- nobody respects young folks, right? Because they're irresponsible and they don't know what they're doing. They're rookie. We do this. I do this. I turned 44 this week. So this, you know, I'm, I'm an old man now, all right? And that word for youth actually is for those under 40. So Timothy is under 40. So I, I'm, I'm past that, right? But we do this with our kids. Oh, you kids, it's bald. Never know how it is. 
right? You never know how tough it was in the 80s, you know? I mean, you're making collect phone calls to your mom, a collect call from mom, come pick me up real quick. You know, remember that? Remember those who lived in the 80s? You your mom never accepted a collect call. It was always, mom, I'm done. You know, okay. And mom shows up 40 minutes later. Y'all complain because mom's like five minutes late. We had to collect call it. Mom had to get in the car. I mean, that, that was the hard days, right? But there's always been that looking down. And there's clearly some guys in Timothy's church. They're like, who is this young buck? Yeah, Paul was here. And he, we know Paul. He's the apostle. But this guy's like 30. He can't. He's like three hairs in his chin. What does he know? Right? And he says, don't, don't let them despise you because of that. Don't give them a reason. And here's what I would say. Let me, let me just address the young folks for a minute. Young being high school, middle school, college, even post-college, in your 20s. Right? The advance of social media has led you to believe that your voice is the most important thing since Jesus's. I have a Twitter. I got 1,500 followers. I have a blog. I Yelp every day. I Google review every place I go. And you act like we all should care. And I'm, I'm, your mom loves you and you are the most special thing in the world to her. Oh, yes. But your voice doesn't always have to matter. When you, oh, I got a degree. I just graduated from college. The CEO should listen to me. Really, he shouldn't. Because here's what you need to learn. And I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just trying to, the way it is. Credibility is earned. It is not granted. It, just, it is over time. I was, you know, me and my son love movies. So we, you know, and I remember, remember those who live in the 80s and 90s, Siskel and Ebert, right? The two thumbs up guys, right? These guys, and they would be like, they review movies. I did a little research on them this week because it's, it's just interesting to me, movie reviewers. These guys like start at the bottom of the Chicago Tribune where beat writers, blah, blah, blah. They worked their way up after 10, 15 years and then people started listening to them. And then they became the great like reviewers, up, thumbs up, thumb down. They can make a movie hit or not, right? J just because you have a degree in English doesn't mean you equal a Siskel and Ebert. It takes time and credibility and faithfulness and longevity to earn that. Salvation is free. Credibility is not. It comes from faithfully, over time, being consistent and building credibility. And what I want our young folks to be, our 16-year-old high school students at Calvary, our Skadden Armstrong, or not Armstrong, Georgia Southern students, are, are working on the base Hunter Army Airfield, our Rangers. Our, our, I want our young folks to be the exception, not the rule. So in an age of laziness and entitlement and disrespect and mooching, I want y'all to break that code, right? I'm not saying you shouldn't have fun and go on road trips. You should. You're 22. You should go to, you know, whatever, the Grand Canyon with your buddies and eat Doritos and drink Pepsi. What? That's great, but you shouldn't be 29 living in your mom's basement on your dad's cell phone plan still. Get your own daggum Verizon. You're 29 years old. And I'm not even joking. Right? I mean, you be the respectful ones that are saying, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. You be the ones who volunteer to serve and to do the dirty work and earn kind of that credibility. Right? You don't be the mooch. You look to learn. Not always speak first. Can older folks learn from you? Absolutely. We can learn a ton from you. Can you learn a ton from some gray-haired people? Oh, yeah. Because those gray hairs came because we had kids and jobs and mortgages and, and stress and operations and all. We have life experience that we can pour into you so that you won't make the same train wreck mistakes we had. And it will be super wise for you to ask questions instead of giving answers. 
And so let me encourage you. It, it takes time, right? But you can do it. And let me just talk, and I know this, I'm going off the rails, but that's all right. I did first service. I'll do it again. Let me talk to you young men, all right? You single young men, get off the Xbox and pursue some of these great ladies we have at our church. All right, ladies, right? Can I get an amen for some of y'all? Okay. If there needs to be some intent, if you're like, I want to be married, but I've been dating this person for three years, what are you waiting for? This wishy-washy, I don't know, I don't know, know. dude, make, make your yes, yes, or your no, no. Be like Yoda, do or do not. There is no try here, okay? Either pursue this person and stop being so wishy-washy, I don't know what I really want to do with my life. Great, then don't lead her on for four years, Right, we have, it just drives, I mean, I know I'm going off the rails here. It drives me nuts that we have all these godly young ladies that are like, where are the men? And I'm like, I don't know, I see them, but where are they? They're playing Call of Duty, I don't know. <laughs> and it's not just here. Yes, there, see, I got some, yeah. So, hey, you need, you need to come talk to me, come talk to me, all right? Back to Timothy. So Timothy, he's saying, don't let anyone despise you for your youth. Right? Don't give them an opportunity, but here's the thing. Set the example. The tupas is the Greek word, the type. It's the idea of there's an imprint. If I swing an axe and I pull the axe out, there's an imprint in the, in the tree. That's what you're to be, Timothy. You set the pace. You be the model. You be the example. And, and, and the application for all of us is whether you were old and you're 80 or you were eight, that if we're going to be the church, then we as a people are going to be exemplary. Right? And, and I chose this word on purpose. Right? I needed a be. Right? Be courageous. Be exemplary. But here's why. The word exemplar is a Latin word which means to model. To imitate. And so the idea here is you be, it's the same idea. You be the example. You be imitatable. That's what we need to be. Imitatable. Not just on Sunday morning because everyone's, oh, Jesus, and I'm hugging people. I mean, out there, be imitatable. You say, what, how does that look? What, and what areas? He's going to give you five. Super practical. Super convicting. Right? Because you're looking at areas to be, okay, how do we want to be exemplary? How do we want to be modeling? How do we want to be imitatable? He says, first, in your speech, set believers an example, Timothy, in your speech, how you talk. And I could go on for hours on this one alone. Right? But what, the, what Christians are known for being is, is complainers and angry, judgmental and fighting and cynical and critical. And that is true, partially. But what it should look like and what we want to start thinking about is what would it look like if our speech was exemplary? And, and maybe this could be a good practice for you. So this week, let's give it one week. Today is the first day of the week. That you, instead of tearing down, which is easier would be a builder, that you would build up, right? So when, when the boss comes in and you don't like the boss and no one likes the boss and everyone's starting to rip him apart, that you, instead of ripping him apart, would say, how can we help him, help her to be a great boss? 
Instead of ripping them for being a bad boss, how can we help them? How can we encourage them? How can we, maybe we could pray. That would actually be a great thing instead of complaining and, and, and being critical and tearing them down. Maybe I could actually pray that they'd be a great boss. And so when you're the you know, 17-year-old girl and you're, it's, a, it's so unfair, my dad didn't do this, he didn't buy blah, 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 and he complained to all your little teenage friends and how bad your parents are. Instead of complaining and tearing them down, you could actually remember that they took you to Disney last summer, which cost them like $5,000 for some ears, that they're paying for you to go to school or college. But guess what? That car insurance, it ain't free. $250 average for you 16-year-olds, just so you know. The gas that goes in your car, they're buying that too. And the food, so yeah, they may be X and Y and Z, but maybe you could be thankful. Instead of tearing them up, complaining, you could celebrate Maybe instead of complaining about all the things that are so wrong in your life, like Clint talked about last Sunday, that you could actually start celebrating the good things that God is doing. Because there's so many good things that God is still doing. And I know there's this struggle and this struggle. But the things we complain about as Americans, oh my goodness, Fowler's gone long. You're right, I am. Can't do nothing about it. I've got to park a mile away to come to church. Really? That's sad. You know, in Afghanistan, they're worried about getting blown up this morning. But I'm sorry you had to walk a half mile. I mean, if we think about the fact that you are free to show up at church, on time, late, you get free coffee, kids getting loved on, and, the, and we complain about stuff instead of celebrating, right? I mean, there's, there's just so many examples we could use. How about, how about the, the, this week, instead of the tone in the house being like this? It could just be normal speaking, right? Some of my worst parenting moments come from the tone and the choice of words. And so the Proverbs say that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. And I don't know exactly what that looks like except for it's valuable because it's gold and silver and it's pretty. When it's fitting, when it fits the situation, and if it doesn't fit, you close it. Because even a fool seems wise when he keeps his mouth shut, right? Like Colossians says that your speech be gracious seasoned with salt. So the umpire makes like 40 bucks a game. He's really not trying to ruin your kid's life. He just didn't see that one, right? So it's okay. It's not the World Series and your kid ain't playing in it. But the idea is, y'all, building, and not, even when there's conflict, even when someone comes at you, your boss, your spouse, your kids, whatever, your mom, that you would even be like in humility if, if just for a moment, you're right, I did not intend for that to be the case. I'm sorry. Where do they go? Well, yeah, you ought to be sorry. You're right. I'm sorry. I mean, you give them nowhere to go. It's a soft answer turns away wrath. And this is the idea. It's just exemplary speech. Because, y'all, God has given us an unbelievably powerful tool and gift. It is called your mouth. And it's so powerful, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, it's like a rudder that steers this aircraft carrier. How powerful is that rudder to steal that, steer that entire ship? And it's like a bit that you put in this monstrous, powerful animal. And you can make it go right or left or pull back or go faster. It is super powerful and super exciting. But at the same time, it is just like a fire that burns down a forest. And if you're not careful, you can destroy. And so exemplary speech 
man, you, nothing speaks louder than, your, than how you talk as, as far as your faith, as far as who we are. And so let's be exemplary in our speech. He says conduct, right? Conduct. This is the way you live. This is just simplicity. How you treat the lady at Publix when you check out. And do you actually leave the cart in the middle of a parking space so someone else, because you're too lazy to walk it like 50 feet? I hate that. That's just one of my pet peeves, by the way. <laughs> that you just would, you know, or, or maybe you could grab the lady next to you who has three kids in the car and they're all, ah, 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 and you, just, you grab hers, hey, ma'am, I'll take yours back too. It's just, it's just excellence in conduct, right? It's, it's when you go out this afternoon and, and you go to the restaurant that you actually tip the lady decently. Because she has to work on Sunday and, and you're not. Even if she missed your sweet tea once in a while. Then you're, oh, 5% for this lady. Right? I mean, it's just that. It's, it's someone who smiles once in a while. It's someone who does a job that someone doesn't have to come back behind you because you're so slack and you just do the minimum. And so now someone's got to check on you. It's doing it right the first time. Showing up on time, saying you're going to be there at 3.05, and blah, blah, blah. you're there at 3.05 as, long as, as far as it's up to you. It's that you're driving, and this is a hard one for some of y'all, you're driving with your little Jesus fish is not like Dale Earnhardt, like wrecking people into the wall. And with the, you know, the single finger salute hanging out the window, and then you invite them to Easter service. Your conduct is exemplary. And, and look, we all are going to... F- to fail. I'm not, there's grace for that. But, you know, your yard, you're, you're, you're taking care of your yard because the guy lives next to you is trying to sell his house and you don't have like five, you know, cars sitting in the backyard and, you know, cans of whatever thrown all over. You actually care about your neighbors. It's just practical, just considerate living. Next one, love. I mean, this is the easy one, right? I mean, this is the, the mark of the Christian if you just love God and you love your neighbor as yourself, the greatest commandment. A church without love is not a church. I don't care how much doctrine or people or activities we have going on. And it's not just an emotion. It is an action. The idea is God demonstrates his love towards us. How? And that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved the world. How? He gave his only son. There is an action piece to love. It is meeting needs. It is, it is what John the apostle says. If you see your brother in, you, in need and you have the world's goods and you withhold them, how does the love of God abide in you? The, que- the answer is it doesn't. So this person in your community group, they can't pay their mortgage, but you got like excess and you're like, go in peace. I'll pray for you, brother. And you don't meet that need, then it says you don't love him. Right? So love is action is the point. Right? And what we would say, what I would say, what I want to be true, just like that church, Beulah, is so, was so loving to people as they came through the door, it didn't matter who they were, that, that our people and that those people who acknowledge the name of Jesus would be the most loving people in the city of Savannah. So the most loving college students, the most loving and gracious college students for, at Georgia Southern, at Savannah State, at Savannah Tech, at, at SCAD are Christian students, are the Christians. The ones who are in church, the ones who are coming to our college group, the ones who are studying the Bible at Starbucks and Foxy Loxy at, at, at 8 o'clock in the morning. Them. The most loving bosses, and a lot of you are bosses. Some of you are NCOs. Some of you are, you know, you got your own business. You got your own, you know, construction company, whatever. The most loving bosses are the Christians in this town, right? The most loving teachers, the ones that, that love those kids, even little Jimmy, and little Jimmy is a pain in the soul. 
You, have, you know, as a school teacher, I remember, there's a lot of little Jimmies over there. But you are not the, like, forget him, that you're the one that's, that's trying your best to reach little Jimmy. Even though his parents could care less and they blame you for everything and he never brings his homework and he never has lunch money. That the, the, the most loving teachers in this city are Christian teachers. Right? The most loving doctors, the most compassionate are, are, are Christians. The customer service rep, when you're calling, you're waiting at the desk and you're mad because they told you your car's going to be ready at two, but it's not even, it's like four and they still haven't gotten this thing. But the most gracious, even though that person's yelling and hammering you and it's not even your fault, the most loving whatever are the Christians. That, that's the idea. The, the ones who love the people who are the unlovables that no one else remembers, the, the folks in prison or maybe down in nursing homes. We have a ministry that, that we support and, and a couple of our folks are involved in that reaches out to the sex, tra- not traffickers, the, the, at the, at the, uh, the sex workers at the strip clubs. They go into them and they share the gospel with them and they help them try to get out of that lifestyle. That is a hard ministry, but you know what? That is, it is what Christ- it ought to be the Christians that are rescuing those ladies. Right? That, that's the idea. That is exemplary living. The mom, who's the only mom in the neighborhood, is not annoyed that all the kids are playing kickball in their front yard and the azalea bush just got kicked over and all these things, right? But she's still bringing lemonade out and Tang and loving on these kids. Remember Tang for the astronauts? <laughs> we still drink Tang. I don't know about y'all. We roll, we roll that way. All right? That's, but the idea there is that, that the mark of the, the people are like, I don't know what they believe down there and I don't know what they talk about. But those people know what it is to love. I don't even agree with them, but they love. That, that's, that's exemplary. Okay? That's what we're talking about. And their love, and their faith. And their faith. And, and the, I, the best way someone can see your faith, the best way is when you are in the middle of junk. When you just lost your job, when you missed the promotion, when life's not where you think it should be, where, where, when there's physical illness, when, there's, when they see peace, when they see graciousness, when they see you loving, they see you worshiping, when you haven't quit, when you're still persevering, that is an exemplary faith, right? When you're sitting on the bench when you want to be starting, that's an exemplary faith faith, that you don't quit, that you continue to go. And he says, and then impurity. And your purity, and this is exactly what it sounds like. And, and that you would be unstained in your, your purity. And we have a culture that's pushing more immorality. Let me tell you the key for, for purity. Purity starts in the mind. All right? What, what you feed your soul will be lived out. So garbage in, garbage out. It's just the way, you cannot escape that principle. And so what, what the Apostle Paul says in Romans is, is that put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh, flesh and its lusts. And so if you struggle with lust, the last thing you need to be doing is staying up at 11.30 night watching Cinemax, right? Because you're feeding your soul and it's just going to live itself out. I don't, it doesn't matter. You cannot escape garbage in, garbage out. If you have no accountability on your phone, Right? This, the phone is, is you mean, maybe you need to go to a flip phone. Maybe you need to get rid of cable. If you cannot go to the golf course without having seven too many, then guess what that means? Don't go to the golf course. That's the idea of, of putting yourself in, in a pure situation, not making provision, to taking every thought captive, as the Apostle Paul says. 
which is why memorizing scripture and thinking about scripture are so vital. It's to be exemplary in your mind so that you live that out. Guarding your heart. Y'all, there's just movies that you shouldn't be watching because there's naked people running all around. And it's, you're just not, it's not good for your soul. It's just not. Right? Guarding your mind so that you don't live it out. And this is why the dating relationships in the church, let me get back to the young folks again. All right? I'm going to be gracious, I promise. But young folks that are dating, you should not be dating the way the world is dating. It should be distinct. I know it's, you, just because you see it on TV and you see it everywhere, it is normative. Oh, we've been dating three months. We ought to be physical. No. You shouldn't be. Right? Well, we're just going to you know, move in together and save money. And, and we won't, it'll be, we'll be pure. No, you won't. Right? The idea of the dating relationship is she is your sister. You don't make out with your sister. Right? You don't sleep in the same bed with your sister. Now, when she's your wife, she's your wife first. She's still your sister, but she's your wife, so it's game on. Right? But she's not your wife. So it's not game on, she's your sister and that's gross. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's why we encourage short engagements, right? It's not, well, we'll just kind of test drive the car. No, no, there's not driving in the car. Get out of the car. Get, you know, I mean, we laugh and joke, but this, it's, I have to say this because y'all, because some of you have been watching, you know, CSI or some hospital show or some movie where it's normative and it's just not. You're, you're actually, believe, I know you don't know, see this, but just trust me, you're actually destroying the oneness that you desire in your marriage by, by doing these things. Friends with benefits, sweep right, sweep left, whatever. You're actually destroying and, and putting roadblocks up in your future marriage that you will not, you'll have to overcome, Right? I promise you, and I'm saying this because I love you, and I don't want you to be in my office struggling with X, Y, and Z. I just, I'm just telling you. And I want you to have a great, physically active, exciting life. We're going to talk about this in the fall. I, but you've you got to do it the way God has designed it if you're going to experience all the joy that it's ultimately meant to. All right? Purity matters. We need to be distinct in that area. Exemplary living, right? It's big. It's huge. It's who we're supposed to be. All right? So be courageous. Be exemplary. One more real quick. And this kind of gets very specific now for Paul working with Timothy, but I'm going to get the big picture for you. He says this, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Remember, in that day, they didn't have Bibles. They didn't have their big old ESV, their little phone. At this point, the New Testament is being written. They may have one other letter, Galatians maybe, or Colossians, maybe a gospel. But nobody has their own like quiet times at Starbucks and, you know, at Ephesus. Right? They might have a couple books of the Old Testament down at the synagogue that they can read. So, and the fact of the matter is a lot of people couldn't read. So one of the things that the pastors were to do and, and Timothy was to do is just to read the scripture out loud in the church. Right? Expose people to the scripture, which we still do, y'all. This is why we put like verses on the songs and, and why sometimes Ethan will read a, a verse or someone else. Because this is a common thing that the church is supposed to do. We're supposed to expose ourselves to scripture. So he says, read the scripture and then exhort them and teach them. And the word for exhort is the idea of move them to action. 
It's not my job to just dump a, a, a truckload of information. I could go and give you all the aorist tense and the Greek this and the middle voice and all oh, the word for godliness means godliness. I could bore you to tears with a bunch of information. But the goal of teaching is, is movement. It's not just info. We've done the info thing. That's called college. Just get a bunch of info, get me through the test, I forget everything. That's not what we're doing. We're moving towards action and doing something. Right? That, that's the idea. It's, this is why in community groups, our community groups are designed to move you to action. This is the classroom, community groups are the lab, where you go and try things. And hey, how about this? Okay, you're 26 and you guys are dating. We're 42 and we dated. Here's how we did it. And we learn and we interact. And you got some gray hair, so I'm going to ask you about this. And we're just, we're experimenting and learning from each other and trying. Right? That's, that is the idea. That is what we're about. Right? It's some movement. And so he says, he says, do this, read to them, teach them. Don't neglect the gift that you have, right? Don't neglect this, this gift which was given to you by prophecy. And there's a lot of commentaries that write a lot of things about what does this mean. One suggestion is when he was kind of appointed pastor, they laid hands on him and he was given the gift of teaching at that point or something. That's one possibility. Problem is we weren't there. You weren't there unless you're 2,000 years old. Anyone there? No one's there. Okay, good. So we don't know for sure what he's talking about. What I think he's talking about, most commentaries say, is when he was appointed pastor, they confirmed his giftedness. They said, you are a gifted young man to teach. We've seen it. You're gifted to lead. You have these things. God is, is calling you to this. Whatever it was, all Paul is doing is reminding him, don't neglect this gift, that you have, this, God has called you to this, God has empowered you to this, Do, don't neglect it because there's a tendency to neglect it. He says, practice this, immerse yourself so all may see your progress. You are gifted, God has called you, use your gift, Timothy. And here's the last thing for us to be the church, is that if we're going to be the church, we need to be using our gifts. It doesn't make any literary sense, but I need it to be, all right? So be using your gifts. Timothy was gifted to do ministry. You are gifted to do ministry. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit has given you at least one, maybe more spiritual gifts. You want to know what the gifts are? There's four passages that deal with them. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. Two twelves, two fours. You can look them up. And there may even be more that aren't even listed. But the idea is you have been given an ability to build the church and build those outside by God, the Holy Spirit, specifically for you. And you, it's your job to discover it and, and develop it. And, and you can take a little online spiritual gift test. What's my spiritual gift? Blah, blah, blah. Answer a bunch of questions like a scan source. And, and probably everyone's going to come up with like the gift of teaching or evangelism, right, or something. That's not a good way to do it. The best way to discover your gifts, you know what it is? Is to do it. Just jump in and do something. And it is amazing how sometimes you'll think, okay, I'm going to go do this, and how God will be like, yeah, I appreciate you moving into the game. I'm going to move you over here now because this is where you're really gifted. I've seen it a thousand times. Sometimes the person goes right, and this are super gifted here. Sometimes God's moves them. Because sometimes you just got to jump in and do something to figure it out. Some of you are just like, I, I think I may be a runner. And then you get out there, and you're like, oh, I'm not a runner. That's fine. But maybe you're a tennis player. Right? You just got to do something and see how God starts moving. And we're not just talking about Sunday morning. Yes, we need people in the nursery. Absolutely. We need folks to greet and make coffee. We need community. Yes, we need those things. But what we're talking about is out there. And what I've seen in my short time in ministry is most 20-year-olds don't know how they're gifted. 20 and under. 
And if folks in their 30s start realizing how they've been gifted and how they've been wired by God, and then spend their 40s kind of honing those in, and in their 50s and 60s mastering those gifts. That's what I kind of experienced, which is why, again, we need gray hair. Because those guys are mastering those areas now, and the 20-year-olds don't even know what they're doing. It, I was 28 years old when I realized I, I could teach a little bit. Because I was scared to death of public speaking. Can you believe that? I mean, I never would have volunteered to be up front and talk to anybody. Never. Finally realized at 28 I could teach a little bit, so I went off to seminary, honed those skills. In the last 15 years, I have spent preaching, and I have about 1,000 sermons under my belt, give or take, at this point. And I'm finally now at 44 starting to feel comfortable speaking. It's taking time. Right, and hopefully they say your preaching, your best preaching is when you're in your 50s. If I make it that long, we'll see. But the idea is discover now, jump in, start honing. And again, this this is this is just God's wired you some way. Some of you are hospitable, so what you need to do is you need to invite everybody over and just cook up chicken wings and do whatever and start you know having some cornhole in the front and just start using that gift. It's huge. It's such a big gift in the church. Some of you are generous. So you need to give your time or your treasure. You know, this single mom needs a babysitter. You're going to do that. Or this person over here needs a meal. You're going to do that. Or this, this ministry needs a $1,500 air conditioner. You're going to, whatever. Right? You just amazing how you jump in. God gets you to the right place. Some of you are leaders, and we need you as a community group leader. You're a natural leader. We need community group leaders. Man, we need them. We got people that are looking to get in groups. We always, always need new leaders. Maybe you're a teacher guy. Right? And, you're, and you're like, I got a gift of teaching. You're a t- girl, I got a gift of teaching. Maybe you need to start a little Bible study at your office. Maybe that's what you need to do. Uh, we had a, uh, a guy that used to be here. He, he moved to Chattanooga about six, seven years ago. Uh, and he was our middle school teacher at the time. Great job. He started teaching a Bible study at his office a couple months ago, a couple, maybe a year ago. I think now it is a church plant in Chattanooga. He calls me. He, they just, just started six months ago. They actually listen to our sermons. He's cheating. He's, listening, he's doing First Timothy. He's listening to my sermons. He's planted a church in his house. They're almost out of the house. I got like all these people that are gathering. He's going he's gonna to go. So, I mean, it started with a Bible study. How cool is that? Right? It's good. That's, that's just how it works, right? You got a gift of evangelism. You need to be down at Foxy Loxy hanging out. All those folks down there as hipsters, they won't let me in that place. They see me and they're like, you're not allowed here. You're not cool enough. I'm like, okay. But you, you can get in, right? You, you, you an encourager, you know, jump onto that team, be that coach, work on that ministry board, whatever. You're service oriented. Man, come volunteer with our neighbors, with these kids in the neighborhood that just need, need someone to love on them and read with them and help them with math and, and point them towards Christ. Jump on, you know, uh, the local board of this, you know, go to one of our engaged trips. I don't know, but do something. We want to build the local church. We want to reach the community. It, that's our E in our specs, engage with the community for the sake of the gospel, right? That's who we're called to do. And so here's how he closes. Again, he says, practice these things, immerse yourself so all may see your progress. Let them see you grow. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Keep, guard yourself, Timothy. Guard your teaching. He's going to say at the end, guard the good deposit. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save yourself and your hearers. He's not saying you can save yourself from the perspective of salvation. I can't save myself. Timothy's not going to save himself to the end. It's he who began a good work will complete it. The idea is save in, in, in the perspective of sanctification, of growing. By doing this, you will, you'll grow and everyone else will grow. There's something about growing that, that, is, that is contagious. Your roommate's growing like a weed. It's like, oh man, I, 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 I want what they have. Your spouse, all of a sudden, is a new person. That's, that's intriguing to me. I'm, I'm gr- 
kind of drafted, I'm kind of drawn to the gospel. I can't tell you how many times in just my short time here, I've had a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old that's on fire for Jesus. The next thing I know, their parents are here. And they're like, something happened to my son, and I don't know what it is, and I want to be that. I want to be like this. The 16-year-old was contagious. That's awesome. But that's what he's saying. Throw yourself in. Use your gifts. Be courageous. Be exemplary. And see what God does. That's the heart of it. Right? Here, let me close with this passage, and then we'll worship. Jesus says this. This is my summary. This is kind of the summary. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Light is supposed to be public, exemplary, right? So that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father. It's not about me looking good, our church looking good, you looking good. You're to be courageous and exemplary and using your gifts because people will say, wow, their Jesus is something else. I want to know about their God. That's the goal. Being the church is about, is about pointing people back to Christ, and we, we just want to be, invite you to be part of that. If you're kind of on the fringe, right? This is why in our community groups, again, they're so big to us because every single gift that's mentioned in the Bible is needed in our community groups. Mercy people, hospitable people, leading people, teaching people, encouragers, all those things. Man, we just want you to not be on the fringe of what Jesus is doing because he's doing awesome things. We invite you to be a part of it. If you're be courageous, be exemplary, be using your gifts. And, and again, just like I'll say almost every week, not every week, if you need prayer for anything, you got questions about, about Christ, about our church, about anything. we got a prayer team that's going to be in the back hall. They're, they're there every week, whether you know it or not. You want someone to pray because your aunt has cancer. Whatever it is, they're there to pray for you. So you can go back at any point during our singing, be prayed over, be loved on a little bit, uh, and just and have that need met. And so we want you to know that's always there for you during this time. But why don't you guys stand, and we're going to sing a couple songs to our Savior, and then we'll go. Lord Jesus, I pray. Just that your church would be your church. There would be a courage, that there would be an ex- exemplariness, an imitatableness uh, in our speech, in our conduct, in our purity, in our faith, in our love. And that there would be a using of the gifts, a stewarding of what you have given us, abilities, talents, treasure, time, whatever it is, for your name's sake. That's simple, but it's who we are. Do it in Christ's name, I pray. Amen.